It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through right now, it. the COVID-19 vaccine are available to millions of Americans and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hugger and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people, and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. It's Friday. We're going to start the weekend off a little early with some interesting conversations, as is always the case, uh, well, every day on the show, but especially on Fridays, we like to have a little more fun. Coming up in the third half of our three-hour tour, we're going to talk with the uh, author, of a gritty new twist on the classic Cinderella fairy tale called Rosa from London. We'll talk with uh, uh, award-winning child actor, playwright, uh, songwriter, rap singer, music video director, and now novelist Lyndon Haynes. That's coming up uh, during the third hour of the show. In the, uh, in the middle, we're going to talk about uh, how to survive a zombie apocalypse, <laughs> or at least what the best cities are for surviving a zombie apocalypse, um, as, uh, as laid out in a, uh, a new survey uh, done by uh, the folks at, at Lawn Love. They, they do these, and, and they're kind of fun, they're just taking surveys of cities from around the country on a variety of topics. I think this is the first one to deal with a zombie apocalypse, but I'll be talking about that and more with Sharon Sullivan coming up in the second hour. 
But uh, we start out this morning first thing with crabs. We're going to talk with uh, the uh, a consultant for the Nova Science Series and the author of 27 books, including his new book, which comes out next week. Called uh, a uh, it's called Crab Wars: A Tale of Horseshoe Crabs, Ecology, and Human Health. And that's scheduled to be released on September 1st. He joins me by phone. The book is by William Sargent. Bill, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. I loved your introductory music. Oh, well, good. Thank you. (laughs) That's nice to hear. Okay, so uh, the, the, the term horseshoe crab, I've heard over and over and over, and I still couldn't tell you what one is. What what exactly is a horseshoe crab? Well, first of all, uh, it's a wonderful question to start off with because it's a misnomer, um, because horseshoe crabs actually aren't crabs. Uh, their closest relatives are spiders, uh, so they're what are called arachnids. Um, but commonly, everybody refers to them as, as horseshoe crabs. Um, and in this country, you only find them on the East Coast. You find them from Maine all the way down to the Yucatan. Um, they look a little bit like a helmet with a tail, maybe something that Steven Spielberg would come up with as, you know, a, a vehicle that his, uh, that his <laughs> stormtroopers would travel in, something like that. But you see them slowly crawling along the, uh, you know, the, the beaches, um, I grew up as a kid on Cape Cod, and one of the things I loved to do was row my boat out uh, at night under a full moon and watch the horseshoe crabs coming up to lay their eggs. Um, and it's, it, it gave, you, gave you a kind of an incredible sense of creation because horseshoe crabs have been doing this for the past 450 million years. So they were doing it way before there were birds, fish, mammals, dinosaurs, about the only thing on land at that time were little tiny mosses and ferns and a few insects like dragonflies with about a three-foot-long wingspan. Um, So they're, uh, you know, they're one of the most ancient, they're often called living fossils uh, because they haven't changed over 450 million years. And they've survived all of the... um, uh, all of the extinctions that we've had um, on the planet, but between the asteroids, the planet completely free- freezing, so it uh, was often called a, a frozen snowball, um, and several other extinctions of animals. Uh, and they've been able to survive it the whole time because they live along the coast, and they've always been coasts. Um, and so, uh, um, you know, it, it turns out we think of it as being a very unstable environment where you have changing conditions. You know, you have the, the tides coming in and going out and the temperatures changing and the salinity changing. But the coast, it's there. we've always had coasts, so they've always had a habitat to, to return to. Do they fit into any of the food groups? Uh, absolutely not. <laughs> um, I, you know, occasionally I've been asked to, uh, you know, give recipes to uh, celebrity cookbooks kind of thing. Um, and, and I will, you know, I'll, I'll give a, a, a recipe for a horseshoe crab chowder. And I talk about, you know, chopping up the potatoes and chopping up the onions. And then when I come to saying, and then you add a, a pound of crow meat. 
then I think people get the idea that I've been spoofing them. <laughs> That's but, uh, great. It, they, well, they, but but it but it really raises the question: um, what is their what is their purpose for humans um, aside from keeping you company on late night sales in the bay? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, now they've. Uh, they're very, very important to everybody listening to this show. Everybody listening to this show's life has been protected by horseshoe crabs uh, because the standard way that we test for uh, bacterial contamination is with horseshoe crab blood. They have a, a bright, brilliant blue, um, uh, blue blood, and um, what they do is they, they remove this blood and freeze it down so it becomes a white powder well don't all aren't all living uh things on the east coast blue bloods (laughs) no no we have we have a lot of rednecks too (laughs) um but um so right now uh a if you keep a horseshoe crab alive and use them for what's called lysate and this is a lysate is what you use for testing for gram-negative uh, bacteria, uh, then each crab is worth $1,500. If you chop them up and use them for bait, they're worth about 30 cents a pound. Um, and um, so, so what's happening now is because of COVID, all of the vaccines and all the antibody tests and all the syringes and the vials Anything that's going to come in contact with a human blood system has to be checked to make sure that it's free of bacteria. And the way they do this is with the horseshoe crab blood. So there's a a huge, you know, multi-million dollar industry um, that's based on the on the horseshoe crab blood. But what is it about horseshoe crab blood that that makes it so perfect for doing this uh, lysate uh, testing? Why why not? frogs or lizards or turtles yeah um well horseshoe crabs have about the first immune system uh you know in the in the animal kingdom so our immune system is very complex we have about 26 different uh cells different antibodies uh that fight the insect the infections uh, what horseshoe crabs have is a single kind of what's called an amoebocyte cell and that that those cells, if you get a if you get a wound, those cells will migrate to the area and simply coagulate, so they keep the infection out. So it's a very primitive system, but it's worked particularly well, um, you know, for 400, 450 million years. Um, and so that's you know that that's what we're using as the as as the test. And and how does that ensure, for example? Um, needles are tested this way how does that ensure that that needle um, and once it's been tested through this lysate process um, what determines that it will then be safe to come in contact with human blood is is there something in the process that ensures that that those things stay sterile after this test yeah, yeah. So basically, the test shows you whether whether uh, something has been contaminated with bacteria. And if you test it and you and it, it comes back that uh, that it hasn't been contaminated, then you're then it's safe to use. Um, for instance, 
and it, it, it's not every uh, vial or every dose of, of vaccine that has to be individually tested. What they do is the large pharmaceutical companies will test a, a, a huge vat of vaccines. So they may be testing thousands of, of, uh, of doses at a time. Um, uh, and, then it, and then once it's you know, certified that it's free of bacteria, then you can feel safe about uh, putting it in your arm. And because of this uh, practice, um, actually, these things are becoming endangered. And why is that exactly? Um, if if they've been around all this time, um, what what are we doing that is uh, not allowing that this process to be sustainable? Yeah. Well, first of all, um, you know, we've been using them for bait, and fishermen will use them for uh, catching conchs and, and eels, and they chop them up and, and, you know, put them in their traps. And, of course, you know, that kills all the horseshoe crabs. Uh, and that's had uh, a fairly big effect, particularly in the mid-Atlantic states. Um, they're also used for this lysate industry, and theoretically, you should be able to go out, catch the crabs, bring them into the laboratory, bleed them, and then return them back to the wild, the same waters that they came from, uh, with no mortality. But under industrial conditions, you know, the trucks won't show up and the crabs will be left out in the sun, and you can get up to 50% mortality. Um, the companies are actually admitting to about 15% mortality uh, on average, which makes me think it's probably closer to 30% mortality. Um, so that's, that's having a real effect. The other thing that's happening, and we've seen this particularly because of, of COVID, is uh, the, the demand has gone up. So what the collectors are starting to do is they're starting to collect the horseshoe crabs uh, up on the beach and in the shallow water where they're laying their eggs. And so what they're doing is they're removing the female crabs from the breeding population so they don't get to lay their eggs. So you might look at, you know, an area where they're collecting the crabs and you'll see lots of adult crabs and you think, well, the population is stable. But what you don't see is that there are no more of the, of the first-year crabs. Uh, so about two weeks ago, I went down to Cape Cod to... Uh, place called Pleasant Bay, which is where they've been collecting horseshoe crabs for about the, the last 40 years. They've been collecting them for the lysate industry. And, um, and what we would do uh, is we had some Harvard students, and every late in the summer every year, we would set out a 100-foot uh, line and then count all the horseshoe crab shells along that line. And what the horseshoe crabs do is they molt. So they leave an empty shell behind, and mm. these end up in the in the rack line along the shore. And normally, Bill, I, yeah. I, I hate to interrupt, but I, I have to pause you there. I have to go to break. Can you stick around for a few minutes, and we'll talk some Ab more? Absolutely. Great. My guest is William Sargent, author of Crab Wars, A Tale of Horseshoe Crabs, Ecology, and Human Health. And it's uh, due out September 1st of 2021, and we'll talk some more 
with Bill after we let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. We'll be right back. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I'm willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. 
where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue uh, my conversation with the uh, author of a new book uh, from Brandeis uh, University Press, uh, scheduled for release on September 1st, 2021, called Crab Wars, A Tale of Horseshoe Crabs, Ecology, and Human Health by William Sargent. And uh, Bill joins me by phone. Bill, uh, welcome back, and thanks for sticking around. Sorry to make you sit through all that. <laughs> I enjoyed it, all of it. <laughs> oh, good, good. Um, Bill, I think when we left off, just before we went to break, the uh, the crabs were molting. That's right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What we were looking at is, um, uh, you know, whether h- how well the crabs are doing because of the increased demand uh, for their blood because of, of the uh, pandemic. And... Um, so what I did a couple of weeks ago is I went down to Pleasant Bay, which is an area where they've been collecting horseshoe crabs for about the last 40 years for the lysate industry. And uh, what we've done every year is we have a group of Harvard students that go out and we set out a 100-foot line, and then we count the number of molts along that line. And under a normal year, you'd get 200 to 300 crabs. What I found two weeks ago is that there were only two molts, um, which indicates really? what's happening. Go ahead. No, I, I was I was just reacting because that's such a, a incredible it, drop. It's a it's a it's a drastic drop, uh, and again, people don't notice this drop because they look at the bay and they see it's absolutely full of of large adult crabs. Uh, but they're not seeing that they're missing um, the next generation of crabs. Um, and, um, you know, I, I think, um, you know, I think the companies are, are uh, you know, stressed now trying to meet demand and, and the collectors are going to areas uh, where, the, where the crabs are mo- more vulnerable. They're collecting them in the shallow waters. Uh, and so you're you're seeing this decline, um, and uh, I think they've they've sort of made a, a calculated uh, you know bet that um, they figure that the lysate industry is actually going to come to an end uh, within the next couple years because they do have now an artificial form of lysate. There's a there was a scientist in Singapore who came up with a way of using gene splicing to, um, uh, to create an artificial form of, of lysate. Uh, the FDA didn't approve this because they didn't want to switch horses in the middle of a pandemic. Um, but uh, I think the writing is on the wall, and I think eventually they will approve it. And then the lysate industry will, will come to an end and also the fisheries for, for horseshoe crabs. And, you know, the horseshoe crabs will have another million years or so to recover 
Um, I'm not sure that, uh, you know, that humanity has another million years or so to recover. <laughs> well, <laughs> that, that depends on what uh, the COVID-19 variants have to say about it. You mentioned Singapore, and, and uh, you've made reference to the pandemic parenthetically a couple times, but you wrote uh, the first book to investigate whether COVID came, uh, because, it came about because of a lab uh, accident. Uh, your, the book was uh, Terror by Error, the COVID Chronicles. Um, and, and just recently, uh, there was a, a, the president um, tasked a committee with uh, investigating to see whether it was bat soup at a wet market in Wuhan, China, or uh, it escaped from a lab. What, what were your findings uh, well, it was kind of interesting. I had just finished a manuscript, <clears throat> excuse me, about tick-borne diseases, things like Lyme disease, babesiosis, sure. uh, Rocky Mountain, and I, I know you're familiar with this in Michigan, as we are on the, on the East Coast, and a lot of people think that that actually came about because of, of research that we were doing bi on biological warfare. Um, for instance, in the 60s during the Cuban Missile Crisis, there was uh, an incident where a young CIA recruit was uh, told to, you know, appear at a at a small uh, airport and then and then get on a plane. Um, and they didn't tell him, you know, what he was supposed to do, but they flew out over the Caribbean. And when they got over Cuba they said, okay, now open up the box in front of you and throw out the contents out the, out the door. And he opened up the box, and it was teeming with hundreds of thousands of ticks. Uh, and what we were doing in various labs around the country in Montana, and but particularly at a place called the Plum Island Animal Research uh, Facility, which is right opposite Lyme, Connecticut, is they were actually injecting various microbes into ticks, and so they were weaponizing the ticks. They were making this little biological uh, weapon. And Is, uh, is and that then, where uh, the phrase ticked off comes from? <laughs> I'm going to use that. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it, it, and it rather does make you ticked off, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the, the, the idea was that, you know, fairly often you'll get storms up and down the East Coast. We just had a hurricane that came through last week, and one of these hurricanes knocked out the electricity in this facility. So the, the uh, air support system that they had to, you know, which was part of their security system, broke down, and the ticks were able to escape the facility. And then they were picked up on shorebird, by shorebirds. And, you know, and then they were distributed up and down the East Coast on the shorebirds. And some of those shorebirds also came down through Michigan. Uh, and so you also have a high incidence of, of some of these um, diseases. So anyway, I had just finished this manuscript when all of a sudden I read that uh, there was this new disease in Wuhan, China. And uh when I, I did some research and I realized that Wuhan had the only what's called a level four biocontainment facility uh, where they do this very dangerous what's called gain of function research. And what you do with gain of function research is you take uh, something like the, the, the COVID virus 
and you inject it into a ferret, which is like a like a weasel, uh, and that the virus mutates. You take it out of that ferret, you put it into another ferret, and you take it out again. And after so many ferrets, the virus can jump from ferret to ferret, which means it can jump from human to human. Uh, so it has gained the function of, of transmissibility. Um, we were actually doing that sort of research in this country, but we found that it was so dangerous that we essentially outsourced it to, to China. So we were still funding the research, but it was being, being done in China. And I think what happened is that, um, you, you know, one of the technicians that was doing this research uh, was probably tired at the end of the day, and he slipped and jabbed himself in the finger, or maybe the ferret sneezed, uh, or the ferret wiggled just enough uh, to, you know, splash some blood or feces on this guy's hand, and he or she would have been patient number zero that was, you know, uh, they transferred to the to the Union Hospital in U in Wuhan, and that's where the first 44 patients. Uh, uh, contracted the, the disease. They were patients at the hospital and, and also doctors at the hospital. Um, so I think that's a, a, a very plausible way uh, that, this, this, that this could have happened. Um, and um, so I uh, actually, my agent died right in the beginning of the uh, COVID crisis. Hmm. And uh, it was impossible to, to reach publishers or other agents. So I just pushed ahead and self-published the book. Um, and I did want to, I did want to uh, you know, establish priority. Uh, and it did turn out it was the first book to come out uh, uh, about this theory. And, of course, when it came out, no one would talk to me. <laughs> Everybody thought I'd gone to the dark side and, and that this was a con conspiracy theory. <laughs> they uh, put on their foil hats whenever you came in the room. Yes, they would sort of sidle away from me. Um, and now, of course, that's what everybody's talking about. That's the, you know, the two theories are, A, that it, that it came from nature, and B, that it came from uh, from a laboratory accident. Uh, is, I'm not sure that we're ever going to know the, the absolute answer, but I do think the lab accident is more plausible, and the longer, we, the longer that scientists can't prove that it came from nature, they can't find, you know, they can't find it in, in other animals in nature, uh, then I think the more plausible the idea was that it actually came from an accident. And certainly it's, it's one strange virus uh, that, you know, that it, it's, I often say that it has a, a kind of a viral intelligence because it makes these little, you know, binary de decisions that's making it mutate much faster than we can develop vaccines and certainly much faster than, you know, that, than, then we can evolve different traits. Um, so it's it's actually way ahead of us. Uh, well, uh, that, that brings a couple things to mind, and then I want to get back to talking about horseshoe crabs. But the um, this notion that there was, uh, you know, a, a bat soup or, or something in this, this wet market in Wuhan, China, um, and, and that somehow this occurred naturally um where did where did that that story come from is there any there there 
it actually came because, uh, you know, everybody, um, a lot of Chinese scientists had been studying uh, the SARS epidemic uh, that had occurred, um, you know, about 10 years before. And that one actually did uh, come from civets in some of these wet seafood markets. So their first thought was that this was the, the this was the same story, but what they never found uh, is they never found the virus in any animals in the in the wet seafood market. So actually, the Chinese uh, scientists dropped that theory um, after just a couple months. Um, but it's sort of uh, I think that was the first theory that people read about, and so they you know it's still kind of that theory is sticking around. Uh, but I think that one's uh, fairly likely not to be the not to be the case. But um, but the the two cases would be the possibility that it came up through nature, through um, so we know that it's it's in the, a reservoir species which are bats. Uh, but you also need what's called an amplifier species, uh, and this would be something like a pig or a bird. So that you have a swine flu or or a, an uh, an avian flu, know, yeah. an avian flu, exactly. Um, and the other question is when you talk about the uh, mutation of this virus, um, it, it, you make it sound like this is 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 very unusual, and yet I've heard that viruses typically mutate as they move from host to host. That's right, they do, they do. Uh, I think what's what's a little bit unique about this one is that it had this uh, this transmissibility, the, the you know the ability to uh, that it was contagious, uh, that it was so contagious right off the bat. Um, and I know there was a, a no Nobel pun intended, Prize. right? I guess yes, yeah. that's right. <laughs> um, I'm going to use that one too. <laughs> But um, there was David Baltimore, who was a Nobel Prize winner. Uh, as soon as he saw the gene sequence of the virus and he saw this area in the gene sequence which made the disease so communicable, uh, he told his wife, wow, that's the, you know, that's the smoking gun. I'm talking with uh, William Sargent. He's the author of uh, a new book that's coming out September 1st called Crab Wars, A Tale of Horseshoe Crabs, Ecology, and Human Health. And, and Bill, um, why the name Crab Wars? Uh, well, I, I actually uh, wrote the original book uh, right after 9-11. And at that time, we were uh, trying to develop vaccines against um, uh, against anthrax because we wanted to uh, vaccinate all the soldiers that were that were going to Iraq. Um, so there was that was part of it, and then also uh, simply the fact that there's been a lot of of controversy and. Uh, uh, you know, sort of not warfare, but it, it's a very been a very contentious uh, history of the of the lysate industry, and there's a lot of competition between the companies. Um, frankly, there was a little, quite a bit of sort of cutting corners and chicanery uh, amongst some of the companies that were that were doing this, um, uh, that were producing the lysate in the in the early days. So it's a it's sort of a cautionary tale. 
um, about biotechnology. Um, this was this, you know, the the lysate industry um, came about probably about ten years before most of the biotech industries. Um, but they had um, they were cutting a lot of corners, uh, and you know, you you get this problem. I there was a there was another uh, story that sort of illustrates this. Um, I, I talked to their chief scientist um, uh, as I was writing the book, and this was after he had left the company, uh, and he mentioned that, you know, he always assumed that they were doing the right thing with the horseshoe crabs, and they were catching them and bleeding them and returning them uh, to the wild. Uh, but one day, um, their regular driver didn't show up because he was sick, so he and another guy decided they would, you know, uh, return the crabs to the collecting facility. And they drove out there, and when they got there, was there was a whole lineup of, of fishermen's uh, trucks. And they said, well, what are you guys doing here? And they said, oh, we're waiting for the crabs. And then they realized that what was happening is that after the company bled the crabs, they were turning around and selling them to the fishermen to use for bait. So they were taking what should be 100% uh, sustainable fisheries and making it 100% unsustainable with 100% mortality. Um, so they were really, you know, killing the goose that laid the golden egg. Um, are they are they still at risk from these fishermen when uh, synthetic uh, lysate procedures? Uh, get approved and and uh, the the lysate industry as we know it uh, just expires well um you know we we still have very very high demand and the fda hasn't approved the artificial uh form yet so so this may be the last year or maybe there'll be a couple more years uh before the fda approves the artificial uh form if they do in fact approve it the you know the natural form is more sensitive it's less expensive uh it's easier to use um so uh the fda didn't want to switch horses in midstream and most of the people who use it uh didn't want to switch horses in in midstream uh but that but that may change, um, and it would, you know, it would then protect the crabs, and the crabs would would have uh, the ability to recover. The other part of this is that there's uh, about a dozen species of endangered shorebirds who are dependent on horseshoe crab eggs for their migration. Uh, the best known one uh, are red knots. And these are shorebirds that migrate from Tierra del Fuego down at the end of South America all the way up to the Arctic surf Circle. And they time their migration so they're on the Delaware Bay beaches for about two weeks when the horseshoe crabs are laying their eggs. And they, they eat about 40 tons of horseshoe crab eggs, which gives them the fuel to make the next leg of their, of their migration up to the Arctic Circle. Uh, and so as the numbers of horseshoe crabs have been declining, uh, the number of, of red knots has been declining. And they also, they're arriving up above the Arctic Circle uh, emaciated and, and not able to, to lay their eggs. How close um, is the horseshoe crab population to extinction? And um, would you 
bet on their survival? Uh, yes. If I were Jimmy the Greek, I would I would bet on horseshoe crabs way before I'd bet on humans. Uh, but uh, <laughs> that, um, they're not close to uh, they're not close to natural extinction. Uh, they're getting close to what you might call uh, commercial extinction. Uh, so it is getting harder and harder for the companies to find the number of horseshoe crabs that they need to make the lysate uh, because they are disappearing up and down the, up and down the East Coast. Uh, but no, I don't think they're, they're close to, uh, to actual extinction. I think they're, uh, um, you know, they're, their numbers are declining. But um, uh, but there's still you know there's, there's still a good population of them out there. What um, what's your what's up next for you, Bill? Are you working on a, a new book? Uh, yes, I am. I actually um, uh, I started another book about COVID, and uh, and then I figured, yeah, I'm just sick of this. <laughs> I want to write about something else. You had a little so, COVID fatigue, did you, like the rest I, I of us? I have a lot of COVID fatigue, yes. <laughs> and um, so now I'm, I, and then I decided, you know, do I want to go someplace else, someplace nice and write about nice things? Uh, but then I felt that was a little frivolous when we're just seeing all these environmental problems. Uh, and I said, well, do I want to go someplace where, you know, the environmental problems are particularly severe? And I said, well, really, you can go anywhere in the world and, and see all the environmental problems. I mean, we're on the East Coast. We're getting the, the smoke from the West Coast fires. Uh, of course, we have sea level rise that's affecting our, our homes here. Uh, we're getting more storms. We just had a hurricane that came back through last week. Uh, this summer has been incredibly uh, wet. Um, you know, a lot of the other areas of the country and the world have been very, very dry this summer, but the jet stream has changes, changed. Um, so we've had a very wet summer, which has actually proved to be, uh, you know, pretty good because um, uh, we have had a, a water problem here in the past. And we're seeing actually a lot of, of animals that have come back. I was uh, just the last couple of days, I've been taking uh, photographs of green darner uh, uh, dragonflies. They're, they're mm. very large dragonflies, about three inches long, and they're all over the place now. Um, they're preparing to migrate down the East Coast. They go from, you know, from Maine all the way down to Florida, um, and there's just masses of them that are, that are on the beaches now preparing for good weather so that they can, you know, make the next hop down to New Jersey, and, you know, then they have to jump across the uh, the Delaware Bay and the Chesapeake Bay, and some of these, you know, they have to go over ocean uh, for about 30 miles, uh, and you know that's um, they have to wait for just the right uh, temperature, just the right weather conditions, and hopefully they can find uh, you know a following wind that will carry them uh, down along the east coast. Well, my guest is William Sargent, the author of Crab Wars, A Tale of Horseshoe Crabs, Ecology, and Human Health, due to be released on September 1st, 2021. And, uh, Bill, I really appreciate you spending this time with me this morning. We have to wrap it up here, but I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future, and we've got about 30 seconds. 
they can check check it out at williamsargent.net uh and also the book the book is being released by uh uh Brandeis University Press and uh Chicago University Press and they can also uh uh reach it through Amazon. Well yeah, it's a law it has to be on Amazon, isn't it? <laughs> Evil Amazon, yeah. <laughs> anyway, anyway, Bill, thank you so much. Uh William Sargent is my guest and uh uh, keep up the good work. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure being with you, and you you asked some wonderful questions. Hi, this is Joe Biden. Take the care. Blue we'll Lions, be right back. You're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination: a COVID nineteen vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Start your weekend early with the Tom Sumner Program every Friday, live at 11. We turn the spotlight on the world of arts and entertainment featuring artists from music, TV, and the movies. Catch everything from the rich local talent pool in and around Flint and Genesee County to up-and-coming stars of stage and screen, plus legends from New York and Hollywood. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe Bye from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is... This is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Start your weekend right. Go to 11 Fridays on the Tom Sumner Program. Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the back. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Imagine a journey down a picturesque riverway. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. 
The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. TomSummerProgram.com Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Oh, great lovers of the world, lend me thy ears. Where has love wrought? Love has wrought beauty. Love is the world. The world is love, and the great lovers of the world have made the earth a very precious, beautiful, and lovely place. Where is the love? Tell me. It's, it's there. It's there. Oh, where is the love? It's there. Where is the love? It's there. Do you know where the love is? It's there, Tom. It's all around you. Love is everywhere. Love is ever-changing, ever-growing, ever-moving. Love is passionate. It is flowing. It is sweet. It is wonderful. Love is compassion. Love is... Love is God. This is a song of two lovers. Right. Not world-famous lovers. Not a Romeo and Juliet. Not that type of a love. But two people whose love was an unrequited love. Unrequited love. Very beautiful love. A love that very few people ever hear of. It's a story of Herman and Sally. You've heard of them, huh? Herman was a lobster, and Sally was a crab. <laughs> Never work out that way, will it? <laughs> Herman met Sally on the beach one night. The sea was calm and the starfish were bright. He looked at her and she looked at him and it was True love at first sight Now Herman told his folks about the girl he found And they said, Herman, there must be other girls around <laughs> Cause crabs walk sideways and lobsters walk straight And we won't let you take her for your mate Everybody sing now! Crabs walk sideways and lobsters walk straight And we won't let you take her for your mate Where is love? <laughs> Try singing like that Poor Herman and poor Sally. Whence did their love whence wrong? Oh, the bittersweet pain of love's nectar. Yes, Herman, though he loved Sally, could not marry her. 
could not have her for his own. Herman was a lobster, Sally was a crab. Herman lived in a restricted neighborhood. <laughs> so he had to make a decision. And Herman made a decision which was sad and very hard for him to do. But then, being a lobster, Herman had no backbone. <laughs> Herman told Sally and it broke her heart She had loved that lobster right from the start He took her in his closet and said I'll always be yours But still, we really have to part Sally said let's talk to your mom and your dad I'll show them that crabs really aren't that bad <laughs> They turned her away, what would the neighbors say? And they laughed at the funny walk she had Two, three, Crabs walk sideways and lobsters walk straight And we won't let you take her for your mate Sing out friends now Crabs walk sideways and lobsters walk straight And we won't let you take her for your mate Once again, gang! Oh, crabs walk sideways Lobsters walk straight And we won't let you take her for your pain One more time now! Crabs walk sideways Lobsters walk straight And we won't let you take her for your pain One day on a sandbar What did Herman see But his little old Sally Walking straight as can be He said, Sally, I can take you in my family And she said, Herman don't you street at me. <laughs> Crabs walk sideways and lobsters walk straight and we won't let you take it for your man. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
In a stretch of quarantine that lasts until July A super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus And if you got a better cough in your arm And if you got a better... <coughs> now back in 1918, influenza had its run But half the docs were busy overseas with World War One. Today we have mass media and scientists to say If you don't want this virus, well then stay six feet away Super damn important that we practice isolation Cause we're asymptomatic while it's an incubation We'll overwhelm our hospitals if there's not mitigation It's super damn important that we practice isolation If we don't do it then we're all gonna die If we don't do it then we're all gonna die And so I hope at last you'll take this lesson here to heart Cause it's already scary and we're only at the start If you get bored just think of the immunocompromised Who can't go much of anywhere unless it's sterilised Oh super bad transmittable contagious awful virus if we don't act quick and social distance, it will mire us in a stretch of quarantine. The last until July, a super bad transmittable, super bad transmittable, contagious, awful virus. Super bad transmittable, contagious. You pilots, virus. get off my lawn! We're trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here. <laughs>